This is the Steelers Standard on Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. I think the Steelers offense did their job on Sunday against the Seahawks. I think you get out to a 14 to nothing lead heading into halftime, and I think that you should hope that that defense that's supposed to be elite holds on to that against the backup quarterback and a third and fourth string running back. So I I can't really find too much room to be super critical of the offense. Um, Last week, and this is the Steelers standard, by the way, I'm Tom Opperman, that's Jacob Breck. Last week, 10 more rushes than pass attempts. You flip it this week. They passed the ball 10 more times than they ran the ball. Uh, ben played pretty decently, though, 29 of 40, so he only had 11 incompletions. So it's a pretty good completion percentage. Uh, only 5.7 yards per average, though, so he was not really throwing the mm-hmm. ball down the field much. There was the one to – they took their uh, – They took their shots. Their weekly shot to Deontay deep and – Claypool later in the game, of which you would have – you were left – being desirable that he had made a okay, let's play just start the right there. What's up with him? Because he is everything that on you want on. except for combat catches. He can't make them. I don't think he's made one this year. People might point to the touchdown he had against the Broncos, but that was more of a he went up and there was no one else there. And by the time he landed, there were two Denver Broncos that crunched him. But there was no hand to hand fighting happening. Every time that it's a jump ball towards Chase Claypool. He seems to be getting it wrestled away or just not being able to come up with that catch. And that's extra frustrating because he's bigger than every defensive back in the NFL. He's supposed to be able to high point things like that and and make Moss type plays. Not every single time, of course, but I want to see, you know, five, six out of ten make that combat catch. At least half the time be the one that comes down with it. And again, I think every single time it's been combat catch all year long, it's been in his hands and then stripped right out of his hands or right through his hands, hit him in the chest and fall to the ground. I mean, I don't know if the concentration's just not there, if he's just not strong enough. That doesn't sound right because he's a freak as far as the weight room's concerned. I think it comes down to want to when it comes to the combat catches, and I think he's just his mentality's not there. He's not he's not aggressive enough, and I, it's it's a hurt it's hurting this team because there were. <clears throat> three to four times every game where you just should be able to throw it up to him and hope that he comes down with it. I mean, Ben used to make a living on plays broken down. All right, 84, jump ball time. Mm-hmm. And, and 84 was half the size of most of the defensive backs, and he'd still go up and get it. So you brought up that lack of combat catch from Claypool, and it just it just triggered me because it's. I no, think it's he's a really good player, and I think he's got all the talent in the world. He's not being able to become that number one receiver, mainly because of the inability to – fight off a defensive back and come away with those combat catches. How many catches did he have? Two? Three? Claypool had two catches on seven targets. For what? 12 yards? 17 yards. Eight and a half per catch. His long was a 12-yard catch. I mean, that that should tell you all you need to know about his performance this past week. It's so up and down, man. I don't... Is it up and down or is it? It's all okay. It's all down for the combat catches. It's all down for the combat, and catches. then it's up and down as far as his impact is concerned because he had an up game against the Broncos, best receiver on the team in that game, and then he's he just disappears in this one. Yeah, it it, it is questionable why he he kind of shies away from what could be a a huge asset to his game. Those combat catches, right? You expect a guy like Claypool to be able to have the speed to break away 
the jumping ability to high point a ball, and then C, the catching ability to make those combat catches. And he has the first two down. For some reason, he, he can't just make a play, the right play on the ball. And it's leaving you with a lot left to be desired because, I mean, I, I understand your frustration and I understand the the way it just kind of consumed you in anger in that moment. Look, but it's, it's not like I'm, I want him to catch every single combat catch. Defensive backs are paid a lot of money too. They're good players too. And they're going to strip the ball away at the last second every once in a while. But you got to be able to come down with it every once in a while at the very least, and it seems to be every time and he's just not doing it. And I see much lesser receivers around the league going up on jump balls and coming down with big catches. I mean, I see on Saturdays receivers in college football who you don't even know their names because they're playing for some bottom power five school, Virginia or something like that, making amazing combat catches against much worse competition, of course, at the defensive back position. But still, this is part of the receiving game. You have to have at least some of this in your bag, especially if you're a guy as big as Claypool is. Just hasn't come to fruition yet this year. Hopefully you work a little bit at it in the bye week and you're working hard. Maybe, uh, I don't know what drills you do, but you got got a bunch of team managers hitting you with those big blocking pads as you jump up for a catch or just trying to push you into the ground as you jump up into the air for a catch. Just anything to make life more difficult for you and practice catching that ball because life's going to be difficult for you catching that ball in an actual game and just hasn't been able to step up at all in that category. Again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm just bashing the guy because he's had some really good games this year and he brings so much to the table. His speed and size is such a mismatch but he's not utilizing that size part of the mismatch in these combat catches, and that's, again, it's leaving just a lot for me to be desired as mm -hmm. far as his play is concerned. It, 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 I think the most frustrating part of it is the fact that you know what he's capable of. Like right, last like week when he took over for the Denver game, that's what you expect of him. That's what you know he's capable of doing week in and week out. Against, yes, I know what... I agree with what you said. Yes, defensive backs are paid a lot of money to do their job, but Chase Claypool is a very is an extremely talented wide receiver, and the fact that he has on his tool belt his speed, his size, his catching ability, his leaping ability that should that should be the the blueprint for a wide receiver in terms of having a great year every 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 year, having a great week, impact week every week. And I think that's why we're left here so angered by it is the fact that he he just completely disappeared on Sunday night. Speaking of top receivers, Deontay Johnson solidifying himself as that number one again. Nine catches, 71 yards, 23-yard long catch from him and 13 targets on the day. He did have a drop. So yeah, and it, first and it drop came, of the year out of the way. It came late in the game. I think it came in what the the third quarter or the fourth quarter, um, and it came actually right after a very nice uh, Chase Claypool catch, mm. which is frustrating because I think uh, the 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 DJ drop was on third down, so you're really frustrated because you're trying to move the ball. The Seahawks had tied the game at that point. It was seventeen to seventeen. And you're just trying to get some momentum back because at this point you've been outscored 17 to three, um, and you you need some semblance of your offense. As you said to start the segment, Tom, they did their job, but they definitely slowed down in the second half. 
And it, it wasn't as dramatic as the defense's uh, performance in the first half versus the second half, but you definitely saw them not execute as efficiently as they did in the first half, and that's that's illustrated by the amount of points they put up on the board. And it's very unfortunate that he had his first drop in the game, but it's I don't think we're going to be sitting here talking about it in a frustrating tone the way we were just talking about Chase Claypool. Nah, not at all. I'm not frustrated with Deontay's performances here at all. I think he's been the best receiver on the team, I think, in my mind. Um, Pat Fryermuth, I know he didn't get in the end zone like he had in game past, but uh, seven catches, 58 yards, tough yardage over the middle of the field on seven targets, so he was 100% on converting all of his targets. Um, <clears throat> people were saying after the game, wow, he really stepped up into that juju role and really filled that well. And he did, but then I'm sitting there thinking he's probably better suited for the juju role role when he becomes, you know, into his own as an NFL player. He's bigger. He's a tight end. He's going to be able to get those extra hard yardage. You'd, you'd at least think. And then I'm all, and this is going to sound mean, but huh. I'm also sitting here thinking, what does it say of juju when a tight, a tight end, end is, is the capable. one that you go, wow, he's really doing the juju job real well. You know, you're admitting that juju's basically a, a faster tight end, and. I think Juju has a lot of value to this team. Not as much as I think Juju thinks he has value to this team, but I think he does have value. But the fact that you can get replacement-type production from the tight end spot for what he does best is just further illustrating that this guy is expendable in the offseason. You can move on from this guy. And I, based off of this game, Fryermuth having probably his best game of the regular season, uh, we know his best game overall came against Detroit in the preseason, but still, I think this was his best game of his young career. I have no problem with that. I mean, especially if you can retain Chase Claypool and Deontay Johnson, which you expect to do, and maybe if you retain a guy like James Washington just as that that third piece, and then you still have to develop. Uh, you have to see what... um. Oh, gosh. The guy that they brought in from Chicago. Anthony Miller. Anthony Miller. See what he can do. I think I think the Steelers are, are well covered and or, or, or have protected themselves or prepared themselves to let go of Juju, and they're going to be fine without him. Look, I think they actually had themselves ready to move on from him this past season. So do I. And that's why I think they're going to be able to replace him pretty easily because they were planning on losing him anyway, and then they just lost him. So... Uh, unfortunate injury could have used his abilities, but oh well, not going to be able to play for the rest of the season. You got to move on. That's the nature of the beast as far as the NFL is concerned. You mentioned James Washington. Only one catch on one target. Rary McLeod was on the field more than he was. People were kind of trying to read into that. I think the best read you can make off of that is James Washington's groin was still bothering him. At least that's what I would hope mm. was what the case was. If he was fully healthy and McLeod was getting more run than James Washington, then the coaching staff's feeling towards Washington and Washington's future in the Steelers and in the NFL is probably in a little bit of jeopardy because if you're healthy and you can't stay on the field more than Ray Ray McLeod, who was doing nothing as far as mm. contributing to this offense is concerned – you're in trouble. But I think, and I, this is speculation, but I think it was, you know, he was on the injury report pretty much all last week and the week leading up to Seattle. Tried to give it a go with that groin a little tender because they were short in the receiver position with Juju being out. Just wasn't able to really give it a full go. And, and as the game went on, just needed to take himself out of the equation. Hopefully he continues to work himself back to full strength after the bye week. 
And if that's the case, he'll play a lot more of a role than Ray Ray McLeod. But if it wasn't the groin thing and they just like Ray Ray more than James Washington, man, that's bad news for James Washington. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's frustrating because you thought that when you drafted James Washington back in 20, 2018 that he was going to be a good asset to you. And it's not necessarily his fault because it's been a very crowded receiving core. It's been a very crowded receiving room. I mean, four straight years, Son, you take a guy that you think is wide receiver one, if not wide receiver two, capable. You go Juju in 2017. You have James Washington in 2018, Deontay Johnson in 2019, and then Chase Claypool in 2020. And then if you want to throw in one more guy, Pat Fryer within 2021. So year after year after year, for five years in a row, you draft a, a receiver, regardless of position, who's capable of making plays for you. And, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, not to say that James Washington isn't capable, it's just that the other guys, we've seen yeah. we've, we've seen Deontay Johnson step up and say, I can be wide receiver one He is you. the one, number one, right now. We, yeah. we, we've seen Claypool, in, in moments, say... I know Deontay is probably number one, but I can still do a lot for He's you. number two, no doubt, even though he's had his questionable moments. Still, no we doubt. We just haven't two. seen that performance across a consistent season from James Washington. Where you can say he's number three. Mm-hmm. Even though it's been Juju for this whole time, you can't, you could never. Even it was say, never a battle. It was always yes, Deontay exactly. Johnson won, Claypool two, Juju three, and James Washington fell to fourth. And there was never, like you said, that battle between James and Juju. But now it's got to be James. Hopefully it was just that injury and he can stay healthy moving forward. Najee Harris went over 100 total yards again against the Seahawks, 127 total yardage, 46 through the air. 81 on the ground. He only averaged 3.4 yards per carry, 24 carries, 81 yards, a long of 10. So it was a tough night for Najee Harris. A lot of tough running that needed to be done. But he is just a freak of nature. And the fact that he He's looked— a freak. He's he, a basket alive. He looked like he was getting you know, frustrated and stymied all game long. And then you look and he had 127 total yards of offense. So Yeah, well, he, he had 80, even, 80 on the ground, 40 in the air. Even on his poor nights, and you can say, quote-unquote, this was a poor night because he didn't really just dominate. And he was having trouble getting traction on the ground, 3.4 yards per carry, like I said. Even when he's off, per se. He's still on. He's still putting up 130 total yards for your offense. And he got in the end zone. So the guy's just an absolute stud. Uh, doesn't need much room to operate, as this game is illustrated of. I mean, the line was doing nothing. The Seahawks' run defense. I think a little bit of pride was happening there because, you know, you're hearing all week now, oh, the worst run defense in football. Up. You might yeah. be the worst run defense in the history of the NFL when it's all said and done. I think, you know, you got 10 days. You're probably sitting there hearing that on the, the talk shows, and Bobby Wagner's probably like, hey, guys, like, can we, we're not the worst run defense in football. I, I think a little bit of pride played into the fact that they played the run pretty well. But Sure. Steelers still grinded 119 yards out on the ground total. And, again, 40 passes to 30 rushes, especially when you're up 14 to nothing, that seems a little skewed. Maybe it was just the fact that the offensive line wasn't able to get the push off of the, the line and, and move that defensive line Possibly. back, and that's why you, you had to pass the ball a little bit more. Either way, it, it works out with a win in the end, but, again, you, you want to see that ratio lean more towards the running side of things than the passing side as we move forward. Yeah, you do, but at the end of the day, Tom, as long as Najee Harris's name is being mentioned, I think I'm going to have no problem with it because 
Ben, as you said, what, through 40 passes? 40 passes, 29 of them complete. To the amount of rushes was? 30. 30? 24 for Najee. That is not horrible. I mean, last week we were sitting here saying how great was it that the Steelers ran the ball 10 more times than they did the pass. But still, when you consider how little they acknowledge the run or utilize the run in 2019 and 2018, to only have 10 less rushes than you did pass, that's still a little victory in its own. When you see the progress being made, we've now all seen the stat line or the graphic that was displayed on Sunday Night Football over the past, what, five or six years, the amount of percentage of plays of which the Steelers have gone on a play action, right? I think dating back to 2017, it was last, 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 all the way up to 2020, and then through six weeks in 2021, they're 31st. And Warren Sharp made a little joke saying progress, which... (laughs) Technically it is, yes, but I think <clears throat> the reason you, you've now seen that, even though it's the, the, the smallest amount of progress you can make, is because of the presence of Najee Harris. Absolutely. So I understand that you wanted to see more, a little more on the ground, but as long as I'm hearing Najee's name, I really don't have – I can't say I have a problem with it. As long as he's getting you over 100 yards of total offense, I don't care which way he's doing it. And he's done it now four out of six weeks. Yeah, he's – he is putting his hat in Rookie of the Year, for sure, especially with the way the Steelers are turning things around. The last three weeks especially, he's really stepping up. And the team becoming more competitive and 3-3 three and three in the playoff hunt. Thick, and going thickly to him, in the playoff And going now. to him more. I mean, let's not forget, he had 25 carries through the first two weeks. Yeah. Now 26 he, carries, maybe. Now he had 24 in just the game yesterday against Seahawks 22, I believe, in the Broncos game. So yeah, that, and, start- that, and that, those are just carries. That's, yeah. that's ignoring the, the grabs he has through the air. 30, which is his total amount of times touching the ball in the Seattle game, including the uh, rushes and the uh, catches. Only guy that touched the ball more, obviously Ben Roethlisberger as the quarterback. But, yeah. I want that, though. Yeah, I, I want, want it to be Ben number one, Najee number two. Speaking of Ben, like I said, 29 for 40, 229 yards, only 5.7 yards per Completion, so not really pushing the ball downfield much. He was sacked once, but he wasn't touched on that sack. We'll get to that in just a second. 94.7 quarterback rating, a touchdown, no interceptions. But he did turn the ball over once. That's what that one sack was, that fumble. That was the pump fake that, for whatever reason, those big old bear claws of Ben just could not hold on to the football. Is it a questionable call? Yeah, I think it could have gone either way. I just got to be honest with you, though. When I see it happening in slow-mo, it looks like a fumble because I think common sense tells you he's bringing that thing down to My problem it. with it is that you make the call on the field as an incomplete pass, and to me, there wasn't enough evidence to overturn it. See, I think there was. I, know I mean, there the, was I know I'm the in the minor- overturned it. I know I'm in the minority on that one, but I, I do think that – and this is a total – interpretation kind of thing like this is totally up to the refs Mm. common sense but i think everybody and their mother knew that ben was trying to tuck that ball down and that's fine that's fine however the the tuck rule has now been abolished right since since the brady and you see other guys getting that call go in their favor that's what i mean it's It's interpretation because you know ben roethlisberger you can assume he's doing a pump fake, but the refs can't be subjective like that. They can't say, well, given his history, no, I think if you made the call for a certain guy, if Aaron Rodgers or if Russell Wilson was making that play, you, you say to the, you say, okay, well, 
they're 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 probably just getting rid of the ball or something like that. We'll we'll call it incomplete. You can't be subjective when making your calls, giving it doing making your call based on the individual player. You have to be objective. You have to make it a, a league standard. And so I, that's what really frustrated me was the fact that they called it incomplete and they said, "I we we think he was." He was trying to tuck the ball in. We're going to call it a fumble. Regardless, Ben, you just got to be able to hold on to the football. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, you're Ben Roethlisberger. Don't put it in the ref's hands. No. And they did. Luckily, and- I, w- I would say this. Two, two, two pieces of it. One negative is the fact that it came far into Seattle territory, right? Yeah, it, it, it could have led to at least three points, that, that play. Um, second, though, to kind of combat that negative – is that the defense stepped up and didn't allow Seattle to go down the field and score any points off of it. That's what would have really killed you uh, if that fumble had led to points because at that point, you're tied 17-17. So if you allow Seattle to go down the field and put points up on you, now you're playing from behind for the first time all game. Yeah, and again, it's just... It was almost like Ben was playing the perfect Ben game until that point, until that questionable decision that he made that yeah you could came go, in the you could go either way but and it came in Seahawk territory so it was it was literally the worst case scenario that could have happened again like you said it didn't cost them so thank god for that and it's always easier and a lot more fun to sit here and try to nitpick and critique the game after a win i think any coach would say that to you is that it's always a lot more fun to improve on your team when you can do it after a win mm-hmm. Just leaves a good taste in your mouth. So Ben, I, I think you have been turning it. I'm speaking to him directly now. If you can't tell, Ben, <laughs> okay. I think you have been turning it around the past couple of weeks. I think that you could make the argument that up until that fourth quarter, the Seattle game was your best game of the season so far, and that's coming off of what I think was the best game of your season just a week prior against the Denver Broncos. Even though there were a couple of plays could have been picked off and taken the other way by Denver, they weren't, and. I think that's just going to be the case with this older quarterback now is that his good games are still going to have those moments where you go, woo, he got away with one there. So I think he's been playing a lot better the past couple weeks. I think it's no coincidence that the running game has started to come alive and Najee's really starting to come alive, and that's making Ben look a lot better at the quarterback position. But he's not going to ever become Hall of Fame, Ben, world beater status. I'll go out there and win you a game against the team that's far superior roster-wise than us because I'm a Hall of Famer Mm -hmm. anymore. Uh, But I think he can maintain this kind of level of play where there's there's going to be a couple mistakes here and there, but not any in the category of complete backbreaker, Geno Smith pick six going the other way type of turnover. And you can get by with the win. That's what matters. That's what he said in his post-game press conference. You get the win, which is all that matters. And, you know, I mean, defense. You gave up four scores in the second half. Ben had a 14-0 lead. You blew that. When you blew the 17-14 to 14 lead and, and had the Seahawks kick the game-tying field goal there, Ben drove him down the field, put him in field goal range. Boswell kicked a field goal to make it 20-17 to 17 defense. You gave up enough yardage for a game-tying field goal with 47 seconds left and no timeouts. Like, so Ben is, and even in the Bills game, Ben had a nice drive towards the end that put the Steelers up for good. I mean, Ben has been able to put the final points on the board, and that's all you can ask for him. I mean, in the past, does the old Big Ben get it in the end zone there? Probably, and really ice the game. But I'm good with 
the new Big Ben or the old Big Ben, well, you also the old to, Big Ben age-wise, just getting a field goal there. The young Big Ben of which he was playing at his peak, he had number 84 at his disposal. I mean, like, I, I, as much as I love to, to compliment Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool. He's got number 22 now, though, so. I get that, but it, it, he's got 22 only six games into his career. Let's let's consider that it took about three years for A.B. to really step onto the scene in a, in a big, big A.B.-like way. I'm only taking Najee about six games. That's so. fine, but I, I still think, right, it's it's unfair to, to compare Najee to a, a, a Antonio Brown. He's better than A.B. already. Night and day. They're different positions. Of course, I'm not comparing. I'm just saying he's got talent that he can use. He's yeah, just too, I know. He's just I know too he old does. to use it in the way he used to. But he's I doing he fine. Does. He's doing fine. Especially these last two weeks, I'll, doing fine. I'll combat your argument with Ben doing enough of a job. This defense still, on the last drive in regulation time for the Seattle, still caused back-to-back fumbles. Just couldn't come on back up to with back, it. Just couldn't fall on top of it. And then... We know how poor of a job the referee or the officiating crew did in in calling that second fumble uh, the DK Metcalf one. Here's the thing, though. All of the hubbub about that play where he came back and bounced, did he fumble, did he not, whatever, they snapped the ball and spiked it with one second left regardless. They were going to get a field goal off no matter what. I know that they added two more seconds and it was three seconds on the clock afterwards and the ref stopped the clock and all this blah, blah, blah. But watch the play again. They had it set, and they snapped the ball and spiked it with one second left on the clock. I don't know. I was watching. It was a terrible display of refereeing, right. but it was not going to affect that field goal. I was watching Joe Hayden's reaction. Because it was awful. It was embarrassing, like Tomlin said. And he said. was jumping up and down saying, what the hell, what the hell is going on? The, the clock had stopped, and or the clock had expired, and they were still out there. But, And I think, um, oh, man, I totally lost my train of thought on that one. Look, it wasn't. Oh, I think Stan Stan mentioned to me that, or, or Stan brought it up on his show that Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. Tyler Lockett spotted the ball. Spotted the ball, yeah. which is, I mean, should that be should that be a penalty? Should that be some type it's of? It's not a penalty, but the ref just needs to spot the ball. Like players always put the ball down in the spot, and the ref picks it up and puts it back either like in the same obvi- spot. Like did or... that did that buy them that extra second? Like Maybe. if if he doesn't do that, and the referee has to take the time to get to the ball. To spot it, maybe. does that maybe go to zeros and and then you don't even have the time to spike the ball? Maybe, but I'm not going to leave it in the hands of the refs because the refs are morons and they blow a lot of things a lot. What I will do is don't get them in that position where they have that fire drill spike to kick a mm-hmm. field goal. Get a right. sack. Get them down. Or just fall on one of the two fumbles. Yes, something either or. Just just end the game without even that kind of drama is all I'm asking for. Uh, one guy we have to talk about before wrapping up, though, is Chris Boswell. What a performance from him. And I what don't a, even know what to say. What a hell of a kicker he is. Um, <laughs> I know we're talking about Boswell, but Najee Harris, man, spins away from a guy, gets three more yards, hurdles a guy to get two more yards. He's short of the first down marker, but he puts it into a 52-yard field goal for Chris Boswell. Make the goal. We saw through NBC's like next-gen stats it would have been good for 56, which would have tied his record at Heinz Field. But, but again, it's another play where Najee he doesn't get a first down, but he still puts them back into that field goal range. And after that was the one on like a third and 18, yeah, right? Yeah, the penalty blocked him back. The uh, pass interference from Chase Claypool right. pushed him back a lot. So great play from Najee. Boswell clutch ice in the veins to nail that. I mean, the overtime kick was great, but the 52-yarder was really the star of the show. You don't win that game without that kick. Without that 52-yarder. And, uh, again, the overtime was more of a chip shot for him. So 
Phenomenal clutch performance. I still can't stress enough how great it is that he bounced back after that 2018 abysmal year. And I can't give enough credit to Kevin Colbert for sticking with him in a league that cuts kickers like crazy once Mm -hmm. they start to get the yips. You can can miss two field goals in one game. And and you're done. And good for Kevin Colbert for sticking with him because he's got probably other than Justin Tucker, maybe one of the best in the league right now. So I would say probably second to Justin Tucker. So it's the guy the guy is not only hitting field goals, he's hitting them from a distance and, he, and he's in clutch drilling time. them. Yeah. In clutch, in clutch time. time. Too. So great job from Boswell, one of the best kickers, like we said, in football. And great move that the Steelers stuck with their guy and it's paying dividends for them to this date. That'll do it for this episode of the Steelers Standard. As always, we are appreciative of you lending your ears to our voices. We will talk to you guys the next time we sit down and record an episode of the Steelers Standard.